Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Secrets of a Self-Starter. My name is Mim Rizvi and in this podcast, we're going to introduce you to some of the country's brightest young businesswomen and wildly successful self-starters in a mentoring session. These young businesswomen pitch their way to seed capital funding and mentorship in a national competition led by the Accelerator for Enterprising Women. And today's mentor is Justine Clark. Justine is an Australian actress, singer, musician, author and television host. She's been acting since the age of seven and has appeared in countless TV shows and movies. She's also written children's books, recorded celebrated children's music and perhaps most notably scored a long-time role as presenter on Play School, my dream job. She is basically the poster girl of children's entertainment. We love Justine Clark. Our mentee is Alex, who is on a similar path. After being diagnosed as a celiac, Alex was inspired to help young children on their celiac journey. She wrote and illustrated the children's book, Jack the Celiac, a fun, creative story about embracing the gluten-free lifestyle and being your authentic self. And she performs songs with Jack the Celiac. Here's a little sneak peek. Jack the Celiac really likes to run. Can we run really fast? Run, 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 run. Celiac really likes to sing. Can we sing la la la? Sing la la la. She performs these with the Starlight Foundation, the Newcastle Museum, and at libraries far and wide. But enough from me, let's jump into the episode and hear from Justine Clark and Alex. Hi, I am Alex. I have the project Jack the Celiac, which is all about uplifting kids and representation for kids with chronic illness. Uh, I love all things silly and creative and uh, using art and things like that to help uplift kids and do lots of, uh, yeah, creative stuff and just launch into that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'm excited to be here. Hi, I'm Justine Clark and I am a mum and I also am an actor and a singer and a producer and an author and I think maybe I should go and get tested for ADHD like (laughs) everyone else. Well, welcome, Alex and Justine. We're so happy to have you here today on Secrets of a Self-Starter. You are both children's entertainers and businesswomen. So I think this is going to be a really great conversation. But we start all of these podcasts with a question for the mentor, which is you, Justine. So did you have a mentor when you started out and what advice did they give you that was the most helpful if you did have one? I didn't really have one, actually. And in terms of my children's entertainment life, I didn't really have someone to um, to bounce anything off. I feel like myself and my manager, Sonia Lee, really kind of carved out our own path. Yeah, I, I, I had people that I really admired mm. that I kept in my mind, um, but no one that I could have a conversation with about what was happening because it felt like it wasn't actually happening to anybody else. Yeah, it's such a niche area, so it's almost hard to find help with. I think it, I think it is. And, and everybody's journey is really different. And as we know, the, the marketplace is quite small mm. 
and there's not a lot out there in terms of support and funding. So because it's children, sometimes it can feel quite mm. isolating because it's not kind of glitzy and glamorous and doesn't have a lot of backing behind it from the entertainment industry, Yeah, really. Mm. Yeah. And government as well. And it government, can be, yeah. It can be a hard slog. It's a hard slog. But welcome to the hard slog, Alex. Yeah, <laughs> Just like, definitely do it. Here, I guess. <laughs> Don't want to turn you off it. <laughs> can I can I say though, just to be here today, to be in a position where I can talk to you about my experience is an honour for me. Mm. To know that this may be in some way helpful for you or for people listening makes me feel really good about about the work that I've done. So so thank you. Thank you for asking me to be here. Thank and- you for coming and talking with us. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And it actually this has kind of come out in the podcast so far, but I also have a children's entertainment business and Justine was sort of my mentor at the start. Oh. So this is a very full circle moment for, oh, for everyone. That. You know, it's also funny. I know we, we want to get into the questions, but I do think there's there's also this part of me too that feels like now in my life I'm kind of, I have time to do it probably more than I used to. And even, Mim, when we first met, I was so much into just the, the slog of doing it in mm. some way that I, I feel like if I had more time I would be much more engaged in in other people's mm. journeys but I feel like I'm at that stage now so I'm really ready to kind of help and you know share that's awesome <laughs> I think that's a great segue yeah. to hear the first question Alex yeah. so whenever you're ready so our first question is um, what was the children's entertainment industry like when you first started compared to now are there any major differences that have happened? you know, throughout the years? Yes, I think there are. When I started, we're talking sort of live performing. So Mm. I started on Play School in 1999, but I started performing about 2006. And what I saw out there was no live music. So a lot of suited characters with um, a backing track. So there might be one live performer, one suited character and the live performer would be responding to a recorded track mm. from the suited character. Not that many places to play. So lots of shopping centre shows or very, very small library shows or town hall, you know, touring, but not that sort of middle middle ground, you know, theatre kind of run that's, that's quite common now. Mm. And that kind of show doesn't leave much room for improvising no. or going with the audience. No, and I think what I found was that, Exactly. And with children, you have to be able to do that. You have to have room to do that. And it's almost in a way, it's it's sort of disrespectful yeah. <laughs> to the child to think that they don't know that yeah. there's something about this that's contrived and mm. not spontaneous. That's, yeah. that's how they communicate. So I found that there was a real lack mm. of a connection with engaging in what kids mm-hmm. were, were really interested in. And so I sort of fell into that space going, well, ne- I'm filling a void here and it mm. needs to be filled. And yeah. yeah, but now I feel like I see, you know, I see yourself playing the ukulele mm. and singing songs and having that really intimate, direct connection with the audience that I see a lot more now mm. and, and, and a lot more live, live music, mm. which is great. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, the core of, I guess, the kind of theatre that I like to create and with with Jack the Celiac is that direct connection. And I love the immersive, interactive, you know, theatre where kids, you know, are directly in the action. And for me, I mean, with Jack the Celiac, it's talking about 
chronic illness and things like that. So a massive part of that is education. And it's like that for all children's entertainers. We don't just do it for a good song. It's helping to educate these kids. And I think having that direct contact makes it, you're talking with them. You're not just, you know, throwing information at them in the way that education kind of is in so many other ways. I think what's really great about what you do is it's about empowerment, mm. but it also what's so so great is what you have to do too is you have to take the parents along with you, and I think mm. that's true for most children's entertainment. I think in some cases that was the other thing I felt was that the parents were left out of whatever whatever engagement there was. The parents mm. were left out of it, mm. whereas I think they might not know it, but actually they really want to be they actually do want to be involved. But your work requires them to be involved. Yes, mm. massively. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's a get it's on a, board. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole conversation between everybody mm. involved. So yeah, mm. definitely, I agree with that. Mm. Sure. Yeah, and I think we'll get into this later as well. But it's a confusing business making things for children, and then the person making the purchase decision is the parent. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so it's hard to sell mm-hmm. to children. Via their parent. Yeah, Yeah, it's tricky to make it appealing to both Mm. audiences. Mm -hmm. So uh, my next question is uh, there's a lot of competition in the children's industry and there's so many talented people out there. As we know, there's three of us sitting um, (laughs) talking right now. (laughs) Um, How have you and do you deal with that rejection side of things when you pitch something and people don't pick it up and, you know, Mm. what's that motivation to keep going in those hard times? Ah, oh, I can liken it to just like if I audition for something as an actor. Mm. So I, I, it's the same sort of thing. It's about holding on to what you believe in and knowing, just knowing what you're capable of mm. and that only you are capable of that. Mm. No one else is capable of what mm-hmm. you're capable of. And no one else can give what you can. And, I, and often I think if it's not working, then it's because it's not the right avenue and you've got to just keep on knocking mm-hmm. yeah. on a whole lot of different doors until there's someone will open something, you know, you'll be able to go down that road and it might not be the road that you thought it was. But so long as you hold on to that belief in why you're doing it, it will find its its path, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think if people see you going down that road, it means they can see what you're capable of. So it might not it might not always end up being the thing that you first wanted. But if they see you carving out your <laughs> your path, mm. they'll know what you're capable of mm-hmm. and it can come from any direction. So I just, I mean, having said that, I give up all the time. I'm mm. constantly giving up and having to re-ask myself why, I, why I'm doing it and yeah. what I want from it. And, and for a long time I thought I was, I was a real, you know, I was just a defeatist. But actually now I think... It's really good to give up <laughs> because it's like renewing. It's like yeah. regeneration. And I think that maybe that was a, it was a kind of a coping mechanism in a way to sort of, to go, to sort of start again because right. you feel sometimes like it's, you're holding all these things and you've got to keep travelling with them and mm. you need to drop them every now and again, yes. pick them up again. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to carry if you're carrying yeah. On your all own. of those rejections at once mm. and being a performer there frequent mm. um, <laughs> yep. and they're normal. They're so normal for being a performer. If you're not getting rejected, you, you're doing something wrong. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, like you learn a lot from those yeah, rejection moments too. 
and what what is important, what isn't important in mm. those moments as well. So, and just because you get rejected one time doesn't mean you won't they won't say yes later. I've really found that along the way. So mm. what was like it wasn't denied; it was just delayed, a little delayed for mm, me. I like that. Mm. Not denied, delayed. Mm. Cool. So I might have a similar answer, I suppose, but. Early on in your career, what's something that you learnt that at the time seemed really obscure and not important, but later on you could call back to and go, ah, oh, yeah, that, that thing I learned is really valuable now or is there anything? I couldn't think of anything specifically except that every mistake I've ever made has been a learning experience. And for me, often they're, like, they're little and they're really embarrassing. So they're like on stage experiences where... Mm. You know, a mic pack will fall off and be dangling, you know, making it look like you've got a tail or something, you know, <laughs> or, or you know, or you didn't plug your ukulele in and you start playing or you pull it out and it, and it's, you know, it's still on and it makes a really loud noise. or So those kinds of really stupid mistakes mm. which sting and you do them all the time yeah. and you keep doing them all the time and you keep coming back and doing it again <laughs> you keep going you know what i mean and i think that mistake that the thing the thing about that is even though i make those mistakes it doesn't seem to stop me from wanting to keep doing it yeah. so i think i must be i must be in the right place mm. yeah, right. in some way yeah. <laughs> so sometimes they're really humiliating but it doesn't stop me from <laughs> still love it yeah, yeah. I, st- yeah. I still lo- love it you, you sort of figure out the things that you really do want to learn yeah, through through making mistakes, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess that kind of flows on to the next thing I was curious about is you have so many loves, you're acting and TV shows and movies and stuff. You're very, very talented. What in the in the end did you sort of pulled you towards children's entertainment and sort of being like, this is the this is kind of the road to to go down? Well, I think it's probably the same thing that's that's pulled you down the road. Mm. Because I don't think any of us do it for <laughs> the fame and the fortune. <laughs> no, oh, well, there damn. isn't any. No, or the glamour. You know, there's no, there is just none, there is just none of that. And mm. yet we still, we all still do it. Mm. Like I, I didn't at first know that, that that's what I was going to do. I mean, mm. I always wanted to be on play school from when I was a little kid and I watched it. I, I always wanted to be play school but everybody wants to be on play school Mm. so I can't say you know so then I you know my dream came true and you just have to follow your dream because that's not the case everyone wants to be on play school and it was an incredible platform for me that a lot of people don't don't have when it comes to children's entertainment and I and I absolutely acknowledge that that is a completely different way of entering the industry but I think once I started performing live and I had that connection with the kids mm. and the audience and once I saw what a great audience they are and how much they love it, like how responsive they mm. are, that's when I, I, I kind of knew that it was something that I wanted to keep pursuing. And it's always, it's never, for me, I think what's been great is it's never been about me. It's been about the thing. So for me, it's been music. For you, it's about this very important education and, you know, reorganising the way that you think about, you know, your habits or mm. how you feed everybody in your family. I mean, it's got a, a real purpose. Mm. It's a real tool, you know, and mm. sometimes with entertainment it doesn't feel 
like that, you know. You can do it and it goes out into the ether and people enjoy it and whatever, but with children it feels like it's, purposeful. it's purpose. It has a real purpose. And so I, for the first time I felt job satisfaction in a way that I don't yes. think I had really with other parts yeah. of my career. Yeah. Even though I love them, I never feel like I'm, it, I've nailed it. But right. with, with children I can feel that. I can, I can do a show or I can have an interaction or where I know a child has loved the music and if I think that I've got a child hooked on music, I'm happy, mm. you know. Yeah. So it's, it's a greater purpose. It's beyond me. Yeah. Which is good. That's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> me too. It's so true. It is. You kind of feel that. I mean, you have the interaction with that kid, that, yeah. that spot in your heart where you're just like, yeah. I feel more relaxed now yeah. after talking mm. to that kid or seeing that the thing that I created because it's what I enjoy doing has really impacted them and made them feel better about themselves or whatever. Yeah. Have you ever found it difficult to have your business proposal uh, taken seriously because it's children's entertainment? And if so, how did you manage that? Yeah, I think I wonder if in Australia generally we value children enough mm. um, and I mm. think that is reflected sometimes in the way that, you know, how difficult it is to get mm. children's projects off the ground because I really find, I mean, I've found sort of most of the time that everyone says they're really they really want to back it and they want to do it, but they kind of, they don't really put their money where their mouth is, I suppose. Mm. And I think oftentimes with children, what I've found is that all the costs are the same, but because they're, they're children, you get less, you get, you get given less money. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. It's like, but you're paying adults to do all the things that need to be done to get yeah, this project Yeah, it's not going. a kid working the camera. It's not a kid working yeah. the camera. But... Oftentimes the budgets are half the budget for yeah. a normal production because it's for children, mm. which I just don't, I don't personally have never sort of understood that. I think it's just the way that it is. I, I, and I say that having had a very, very good, you know, <laughs> run, you know. I have had my own show made on ABC mm. Kids, which is an extraordinary mm. thing to have achieved. Mm. And, you know, many albums, all of that, but I still think there's, it's a, it, it feels like there's just something underneath the way that society is structured that just makes it harder. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think silliness isn't as valued as you get older. It's so valued when you're a kid. <laughs> and then often, and you probably find this too, Justin, and you, Alex, like when you're writing an email and you're like, so I need the gobbledygook costume yeah. and, I, and you're very, very serious with the most ridiculous words and you just feel really weird about it. Yeah. So I feel no, that all the time. That's very, that's very true. It's so that's true. true. Which is so sad because silliness is so awesome. It's so important. It's so important. <laughs> like I live day to day in a silly world. <laughs> I think those I live with are probably like, okay, enough silliness. But <laughs> it, I think it's it's great the the humor that I kind of live in day to day with my colleagues and and with Jack is it makes me just I don't know a happy person. Mm. And it's nice to just do a weird dance move and be like, cool, that was for my job. That was nice. <laughs> I get paid to do that. <laughs> yeah, I get paid to do silly things. It's great. It's the way to be, I think. I agree. Yeah, I love that. And this is sort of calling back to earlier when we were talking about the customer, parents, mm. consumer, mm. kids mm. <laughs> Yeah, this is a good question. Yeah, how do, you, how do you manage that? Like do you have any advice for how to make content appealing to 
both customer and consumer? Well, no. <laughs> Great. No, because I look at what you both both of you do, particularly on, well, I suppose on social media, I look at both of your social media profiles, and I think you both do it really well. Mm. I think it is a fine line because you don't want to sell anything to a child. You don't want to mm. be the children; they don't need to be the customer. You know what I mean? So it's, it is it is a very it's a very fine line. But I think yeah, and you have to you have to be the same silly person with the adults as you are with the kids. Yeah. Just remember that it's a. In the end, it's always a family that you're talking to. Mm. Yeah. Even though it's you, you want it to be that one person that you that you're targeting, but mm. you're not. You're not really. So, yeah, I don't. I don't really know. I'm not great on on the socials. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can only talk about it in a in a live yeah. sense. In that mm. in in that I think that it's it. You know, it's so important that everybody in the room is mm. is involved in some way. Yeah. Mm. That's awesome. I have um, a good friend of mine and she is soon to be a mother mother of two and she's a massive fan of, of you and she's so much <laughs> saying that her um, soon to be oldest, I guess, is not so into it, but she's so into it. So she's got like Justin Clark on all the time. And <laughs> it's so, I, lo- I love it that she's like, she's the number one fan. And yeah. she's like, come on, daughter, get into this. Yeah, and yeah. It's I think good. It's, it's just a testimony to, to your work, just how much like you know, appeals to so many people. It's just, mm. anyway. It's funny when sometimes at a show the mothers will say, I think I'm more excited. Yeah. Than <laughs> yeah. They're watching too. They're sitting right, right by side, turning oh, yeah. the TV on, making yeah. that choice. Like it's, it's a it's, weird one. It's got to be a good enough song for when the kid asks for it for like the fifth time that day. Yeah. And parents, parents are okay with like, it, right? Oh, I'm sorry, Justine like, Clark's broken. Yeah, the CD oh, is not working oh. anymore. How bizarre. <laughs> and we have that. I have a great story where um, this family took a trip around Australia from Melbourne and they got all the way up to, they got to Alice Springs and um, they dug a hole and buried the CD <laughs> in the ground. Amazing. And then they just had to buy another one. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> too, too many crying kids in the car. <laughs> we want it back. In today's age, we have so much digital content and it's a very digital world. Would you recommend it's better to start with live performances or with that digital collateral, the, you know, the online shows, the music, the recordings and things like that? I think it's however it comes to you, I Mm -hmm. think. I think that you really probably do need both. Mm -hmm. I think that the online content is, music is visual for kids. I think it helps if they can see movement with it. So I think it is important to have content. Now, I never will want to encourage kids to be on devices, but I do think it does complement, well, what I do, certainly. Mm. The music, I think it, I think it complements and I, yeah, and then it, I guess it's just whatever you, whatever your strengths are. But I would say always the most important thing is that real life contact. Yeah, right. And mm. that's why touring and performing is so important mm. because in the end it's those one-on-one meetings with with kids like you say where mm. they where you know that you've you've affected some change or yeah. sparked something mm-hmm. in that one child mm. and you can really really the, the the best way to do that is in 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 person mm. the, yeah in fact the only way to do that is in person the rest is just 
an illusion. Yeah. yeah. But it does help, mm. unfortunately. You have to have it. Yeah. Because <laughs> after they meet you in person, to get them to stay engaged with you, you need to be able to point somewhere. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. It's a bit of a weird ecosystem that all feeds each other. It does. And in a, in a strange way, I think it's important with whatever content you have to break that myth when you do meet them. So it's, it is a bit circular, mm. like you say, because you have. if they get obsessed with watching you on a screen. Mm. You only exist on the screen. Then, yeah. Then, but, right. but then when they meet you, yeah. it's, a, it's like sometimes when I, when I meet a, a little person, I get this mix of like amazement and slight disappointment like don't quite look like how I, you know, the lighting's not the same, or you're not wearing the makeup, or you, I don't know what, I don't yeah, know what yeah. it, they don't, know, they're not thinking that, but there's a little bit of like, oh, you're just a person, mm. yeah. and in a way, I think that's really that's a good moment for mm, them yeah. to understand that 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 because I mean it's a it opens a whole can of worms about what was this thing I was seeing and what yes. was this relationship I yeah. had with this thing, yeah. but I think it's important. I think it's really important. Mm. And for getting, you know, sort of the, the foot in the door for corporations like, you know, ABC and things like that, mm. what what do you have as advice for someone like myself trying to build a portfolio to pitch to these sorts of, you know, in, in taking that big next step? Is it, you know, the preparation, the making of the content, the talking to people and what is it? What's, what's the magic answer? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't know what the magic, I, I really don't know. Like I really don't. I just know that, you know, like I said, like you will make your presence felt by continuing to make work that you believe in. And I think the thing about re- like record labels is they want, that's what they want to see. Like they want to see that you're building something yourself yeah. because now often record labels have so little money yeah. that they need they need to know that you're kind of looking after yourself in a, mm. in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah, and they want to see that you're a hard worker. Yeah. So if they're going to invest time and money in you, yeah. they don't want you to just disappear and be like, oh, I'm sick of this now. So yeah. you've got to prove that you're a good investment, that you're going to stick it out, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, right. Sometimes. Yeah. But, I mean, mm. from what I've seen, that's what you're doing. So I, I would say <laughs> that you don't need any any advice on what that thing is because oh, I feel thanks. like you have really good skills around yeah. all those different facets of, of the business and that's difficult because mm. it's it's like you have to use every part of your, your brain. Mm-hmm. But it seems like from where I sit you're incredibly capable of doing that. So mm. I, don't, I don't see that. That doesn't seem to be a problem. Whereas me, <laughs> I'm not that person. I'm just I'm not that kind of person. I need people around me to help me do all those things. So I think you're in an incredibly good position. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I do have a very incredible <laughs> people around me as well helping mm. and there's the business centre back in Newcastle and getting mentors and stuff from them has been incredible and things like that. And, and my mum's a business advisor as well. Oh, so like, brilliant. So like I live I live in, in that mm. space, which has been so helpful to to sort of have that, you mm. know, those those moments of just, you know, just just remember this is a this is a business. This this That's is a right. thing, and yeah. um, it's and not who you are. It's y- what you do. Exactly, yeah. which yeah. I think can be hard because I mean, especially me. I mean, I've written this about celiac disease, with which I have, and yeah. it's a very personal story in a way. And to be able to, and I feel like Jack is a smaller, fluffy <laughs> version of myself. <laughs> so it's this really bizarre way to sort of yeah disassociate and know that there is more to 
to me than just this yeah, that's project right. when it that's is right. such a personal thing. Mm. But I think that's why it's important and I think that's why it's it's good because it comes from some from a very, very genuine place. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> I think kids know that. I think they know. Yeah. I do. Yeah, they're pretty smart. They are. Oh, they're <laughs> – they're way smarter than me most of the time. They'll tell <laughs> yeah. me things and I'm like, how do you know what the <laughs> yeah. planets and the order and the, yeah, they're, they're crazy, crazy smart. <laughs> yeah. You've worked on so many different projects over the years. What have been some of the standout moments professionally and personally for you? I know it's a big question. I think a lot of them have been in my life as a, in a live setting. So whether it's been in a play or in my children's music life, mm. it's often been in those those moments between myself and the audience where I've felt very, I suppose maybe it's about being in control in some ways, like having that control where it's been your creation mm. or it's a big role in a, in, a, in a play or, but often it's been in a live setting, even if it's been watching, having an audience watching a film that I've been in and, and seeing mm. and listening to them when they laugh at something mm. that they're watching, you know. Yeah. It's never usually while I'm doing any any of the actual work unless it's on stage. Yeah. So one one particular moment which was which is really memorable is it was in a beautiful old like 30s hall in in Melbourne and we were on a tour and um there was a it was beautiful parquetry floor and it had but steps going up to the stage and fairy lights around the steps. It's really beautiful mm. old Art Deco room. And I was singing a song called Climbing Up the Rainbow. And as I was singing, I'm climbing up the rainbow, the kids started climbing the oh. stairs. But all of them, not just a few of them. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but all of them. Once they started... The others, everyone just, they all, wanted to they all just the want rainbow. to come. They all want to climb the rainbow oh. and until it got a bit out of control. <laughs> so those, like, so it got, so it got so bad that the whole, actually the whole audience kind of climbed oh, the rainbow wow. and ended up right, like, right here. <laughs> Hello, children. Yes. Oh, little cute. That was so cute. But I was like, okay, now everybody <laughs> go try, try not to hurt anybody, but go back to your seats. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you think, oh, I've got all this power, but what do I do with it? <laughs> Especially with children, they kind of just do whatever. And it's like, oh, we're doing they this do now. It, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they really do. But yeah, that's gorgeous. Though I got a little yeah. shiver when you told that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's such a beautiful moment. I'm sure you're like, I don't really want to send them back. I know, you but didn't I want to. Should. But you see their little faces; they're climbing. Oh, <laughs> so beautiful. That's so lovely. But yeah, it's often in it's often in exchanges between people. Mm. Yeah. How important would you say merchandise, like shirts and toys, are? in branding and in, in kids' in entertainment? Is there a particular moment in a career where, you know, you should, you should go for it or? Mm, well, I can only speak from my experience. Yeah. They were always just a, a, an extra, like an added mm. extra. Because you've got the books and. Yeah, I've got, I've written books and mm. we just, we sort of treated our shows like rock concerts so we just had t-shirts yeah mm. sometimes stickers yeah and and one year we had little blow-up balls 
which were plastic. Now I wouldn't I wouldn't do that now. Um, but yeah. back then it was kind of. <laughs> we didn't know back then. We yeah. didn't know. Um, I've got a lot of them in my <laughs> storage if, if you want some. Um, <laughs> and the books, the books bags, which which um, I like because we've got a song called Off to the Library. So I liked that the book bag because it was mm. useful. Yeah. But I don't know. Actually, Mim's probably a much better person to ask that yeah, question. Yeah, we've been doing merch. Yeah. Um, it's expensive. Yeah. And it takes up a lot of room in your house <laughs> is what I've learned. I, I, I would agree with both of those things. Um, I've, I've got heaps of leftover merch. Yeah. And a lot of the time you bring all your merch to a show and then only one person buys it and you're mm. like, oh, I brought all, I lugged all this here. Yeah. And then sometimes lots of people will buy it mm. and you'll make more in merch than you did for the booking of the show. And right. in that case, it's great. But I'm yet to learn the science of when that happens. <laughs> Versus when it doesn't happen, and in yeah. my experience, some t-shirts which I think, oh, this is gonna, this is gonna be a river. A I've got like five hundred. <laughs> yeah, no one wants. It. <laughs> yeah. But like when you look at the Wiggles and things like that, I'd, I'd say they're making most of their money in merch, merch yeah. and ticket and sales. Tickets, yeah, yeah. Mm. So I guess for that level, definitely. Mm. Um, but just be careful about what you go with first. Mm. Um, and I would say get one very cheap item, like one item that's like two dollars, three dollars. Yeah. As your like first first thing to get get them right. in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That we found that really helpful. So we've got little ribbons on a stick, mm. and they're very colourful and very fun. Mm. And so often that will bring people to the merch table, and then they'll see your more expensive items, and sometimes it will make a bigger sale. Yeah. Right. And sometimes it's just a ribbon. Yeah. Right. But we make a loss on those ribbons. But they're basically to just be just like, to get Come over here, in. get yeah. a ribbon. I like the the, the Wiggles have this. Um, I don't know if they do it anymore, but I remember I went the last Wiggles concert I went to, which is like I don't know, fifteen <laughs> years ago maybe. It was out at Kudos Bank, and they had like you could buy uh, roses for Dorothy. Real roses? No, they were fake roses. Okay. Mm-hmm. You could buy them for, for Dorothy and she would go wandering around the crowd and you would give her the roses or it <gasps> might not have been her, it might have been. Sounds like a genius idea. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and would they put it back in the bucket? Yes. Oh. Yes. So you'd buy the roses so that you could go to the concert. Someone at Captain Feathersword so you could get a moment where you were close to one of the Wiggles yes. and they'd oh. gather them all, she'd have her rosy tea and then they'd just put them back out on the merch desk and sell them again. I mean, it's they are just that is genius. Geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> like, how can I do that in Jack? <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. Wow. That's so smart. <laughs> that is so smart. I think that you should keep writing songs. Mm. Yeah. I think you should keep writing songs and playing and playing the ukulele and... Because that your silly act song is stuck in my head, yes. um, and that's what you want. That's that's better than any any piece of merch. Yeah. That's what you want to take home. Is you want to take that song home in your head. Yeah, it's awesome. I'll keep writing. <laughs> Justin Clark told me to. So I have to now. It's, it's cheaper anyway. <laughs> yeah, probably more fun as well. Yeah, you just write is. songs all the time. I love that. You must have seen a lot of children's entertainers come and go over your years in children's entertainment. Is there a commonality between the ones that have, uh, thrive in the industry and, and ones that sort of fall away? In the music game, I would say it's, it's probably songwriting, probably, good songwriting, and a, and a real commitment to touring. 
Yeah, I think I think touring is probably key, and and it's 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 a hard slog, and you got to go around and round and round and round and round, and you got to find you got to find some sort of a, t- a tour route. That's that's yeah. hard to find someone, yeah. and that they're not kind of clear mm. routes, and there's no children's booking agents, so you got to sort of do it yourself. Mm. But I think that's probably what separates mm. the wheat from the chaff is that is that kind of slogging it out mm. on the touring circuit. I think so. And mm. it kind of harks back to what you were saying before about being purpose-driven. And I, like you said, it's not the most glamorous and glitzy industry. And I think yeah. some people are like, oh, I'll do that because it's easy. Yeah. I'm saying that in inverted commas because it's not easy, but maybe from the outside people think it is. And then they get in here and realise how hard it is and then they leave. But if you really care about kids and making that connection with children like Justine was talking about, That'll really drive you and keep you doing it. So true. Right. Cool. Awesome. Keep that passion going. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it just helps. It helps with everything, like dealing with those rejections and things if you're purpose-driven rather than goal-driven. And this is something that I really struggle with because I'm very goal-driven, but I'm trying really hard to remember that I'm trying to make children happy by telling stories and singing songs. And whether or not I achieve X, I'm doing that. And it's happening. That's mm. absolutely so true. That's something I've really, I've really learned over the years, is to make my goal much broader. Yeah. So make my goal to connect with children, to spark a child's imagination, to get them moving. To so those are my goals, rather than I want to be the best or the biggest yeah. or the I yeah. want to get to I want to have an album out by this time or blah whatever those other things mm. are or. You know, if, I guess for me it would be like, you know, I want to make, yeah, I want to make five albums or I don't know, wh- yeah. whatever it is, Yeah. instead of it being those very specific fixed goals, yeah. make them moving goals because they're more real, they're real yeah. and they actually are, they, they are achievable whereas mm. a fixed goal sometimes isn't actually Yeah, achievable. so much depends <laughs> on other people. Like, yeah. Mm. If you want to be on Netflix or whatever, like mm. there's a lot of people at Netflix over there controlling whether or not you can do that. Yes. So if you hang all your hopes on that one thing, you're going to be disappointed m- most likely. Yeah. So if you hang yeah. your hopes on making a child happy, you're, you're already doing that. You're, you do that every day. You do it already. all the time. <laughs> you're, already, you're already a success. Yeah. <laughs> it's already happening. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I think it's really helpful to remember because um, I've sort of spent the – this year, I suppose, be like, what's that, you know, next goal and doing mm. this and I release. And you have to have, have your goals. Of course, of course. Yeah, it's important. But I think, yeah, trying to remember the purpose like we're yeah. talking about of mm. and how, you know, I have so many passions. I have music. I have, you know, film and TV. I love that. I love performing live and so many different things. And mm. to have it as however that comes out next is how it, it comes out next. Yeah. That's, I think that's great to remember. Yeah, and if you do, if you are an octopus, mm. things <laughs> like you are, and I think I am too, um, then yeah, you have to, you have to. It's gonna, it's gonna manifest in all kinds of ways that you, you might not be, you might not know what they are yet. Yeah, yeah. sure. No, that's great. That's awesome. Which brings us to our last question: Where do you see the future of children's entertainment heading? With your experience Ooh. of what you've seen so far, um, any ideas of? You know, if you could look into that magic crystal ball, <laughs> what what do you see might be might be changing in this um, industry? I hope that we we don't 
silo it into sort of children's entertainment so mm-hmm. much. I think there is a little bit more of a, a market for chil- for family entertainment so that we don't see it as just, you know, for, for a child, but, it, but, it's, mm. but it's a holistic sort of mm. a approach, I mm. think. Mm. I hope that that's where, where we, we're headed, but I don't know if it is. What, what, do, what would you like to see? Do you have, a, yeah, do you have any, any sort of idea in mind about what it would be like? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree with that for it to be a holistic family mm. and community-based mm. thing and not just to kids because I think like we were talking about earlier, you can't just be to the child. It has to be a whole family situation. Yeah, mm. it does. Um, and I think it'd be great to, you know, have more representation out there and that's a massive yeah. core, core of Jack is and, and I felt that when I was diagnosed, you know, nearly 11 years ago is I didn't have that representation of a of a of a teenager who had my list of autoimmune diseases. So to be able to have it more broad and just accessible so it's, you know, as popular as, you know, the Wiggles or Bluey or Mm. all of those sorts of things for it to be like my kid watches this whatever it's about, whatever, you know, chronic illness. If it's Jack the Celiac, we just, it's on in households and it's just a thing that you're watching. It's not, doesn't have to be so you know, niche of, oh, it's only about chronic illnesses and my kid doesn't have that thing to, you know, make entertainment for everybody and not just to a specific, you know, only for these people. I think that's what I would love to to yeah. see. I would really like that too. Mm. And I think a lot of the time we forget that these children are going to grow up and be little adults running around impacting the world and voting. And if we can get in there early and help them be more empathetic yep. and more kind... It's better for everyone. I agree. I agree. And I also think that children are already, you know, members of our society and already mm. really complex yeah. little beings and they can they can handle it. They mm-hmm. can handle it. They and they they want to see themselves. If they don't see themselves then they sh- they are shut they are actually shut out. Yeah. It's yeah. actually our responsibility in a way yeah. for them to be able to see and haven't themselves. we seen that with the Little Mermaid trailer dropping? Yes, massively. Yeah, yeah they make me tear up those videos oh. of those girls. Mm. So the Little Mermaid trailer came out and there was a big uproar in the media landscape about Ariel now being played by an African-American woman Mm-mm. and that in the cartoon version she was a red-headed Caucasian woman mm-hmm. and there were a lot of people very happy about it and a lot of people very unhappy about it. Why do we care? Uh, yeah, and why did that not receive the same? Anyway, yes. that's a whole other that's discussion. Yes, it is. We could yeah. dig deep into that conversation. But yeah, <laughs> it's so great to see so many little girls of colour seeing that and seeing themselves. No, and, and that's right. And that and that watching those videos of yeah. the girls of the of those reactions of those children going, seeing themselves. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. It's like if if we're gonna put these screens in front of people's faces all the time. It's our responsibility yeah. to be able to show everybody. It's as simple as as that, just having it there. It doesn't have to be a, a big thing. It just exists in the world and mm. anyone can consume that content regardless of if it's music or show or a book. It's just there and mm. it's normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just start a conversation or not, it just exists. It just opens a door so people can poke their heads in and go, oh, that's in there, cool. I'll come back to that room later yeah. and, and dig a bit deeper just to – you know, have it exist would be great. <laughs> I wish I'd had that when I was a kid because I'm a little brown, was a little brown girl too. And I remember never being able to find a Barbie that looked like mm. me, except the like 
$2 Barbies that weren't very good. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted the gymnastics Barbie. And like, it's just, yeah. it's a changing world now and it's really exciting to see that happening. Yeah. Hopefully it can keep happening. Hopefully it does. Thank you so much, Justine, for your time and Alex for your very insightful questions. I actually learned a lot from a lot of those questions too, so thank you. And I think we should all exchange numbers so we can all continue this mentor relationship. Definitely. (laughs) Yes, Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) This podcast is a listener production hosted by me, Mim Risby, and made in partnership with the Accelerator for Enterprising Women. Producer is Kelsey Menzies, audio by Kelly Fulston, and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.